Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Ethosphere. I'm your host, Nathan Alex Orona, and I'm really excited for you to take this journey with me today. Today, I'd like for you to follow along as I give a talk I am calling A Shepherd Has Been Killed, a juxtaposition between today's events and the story of Cain and Abel. As we look out and into our world, it is as if we are looking at our own distortion in a funhouse mirror. We see things that seem as if they are almost familiar, only they are bent and out of place. As I've said on other occasion, and you'll probably hear me say it again, our brains are really good at finding the patterns of everyday life. The brain is constantly acting on past information in order to predict what might happen in both the near and distant future. With the current climate involving the coronavirus, constant images of violence, civil unrest, and an overall reconstruction of the truth, our backdrop hardly allows for our brains to find a soft place to land. We may not be able to make sense of it all, but we can make the choice, the choice to continue moving forward. Ethosphere welcomes you to move forward with us as we venture out and explore our new world. Max Brooks wrote in his critically acclaimed novel, World War Z, most people don't believe something can happen until it already has. That's not stupidity or weakness, that's just human nature. Human nature is a funny thing. It seems as if we have a grasp on the concept with the many disciplines of science devoted to the study. Biology, psychology, sociology, medicine. Then there are the endeavors into the humanities, philosophy, history, global studies, ethnic studies, cultural studies, on and on. And of course, nothing quite spotlights our nature like the arts. The visual arts, such as painting, sculpture, film, drawing, tapestry, structural arts like engineering and architecture, and then the single most discipline that defines us beyond mere being, music, the divine sounding of the gods. But in spite of its many studies, human nature still resists, still resists, aligning with patterns of imposed conformity. From there, if I haven't been already, I will delve into today's talk. On May 25th, 2020, a 46-year-old man had his life extinguished under the weight of a fellow human being. This happened in Minneapolis, Minnesota, on the street, while the sun was still in the sky, these events took place as people passed by and some recorded, and while three others were either participating or complicit in what could only be deemed as murder. Now, if you'll allow me, I would like to shift rapidly over to what is considered to be the first murder on our fair planet, or something highly representational of the first murder, the story of Cain and Abel. Before I go in deep, allow me to paint a picture of our two players. 
These two men were the first and second born sons of Adam and Eve. Both of these men are two sides of the same archetypal coin. Abel, if you're familiar with archetypes, is the archetype of the innocent. He is willing to please and strive according to the rules that have been laid out before him. He pictures the world in an ideal manner. Abel is a shepherd, a motif that is, ref that is referenced over and over in the Bible. Abraham, the father of nations, Moses, the father of law and freedom, David, the keeper of faith and favor, and ultimately, Jesus, the living path and the teacher. These men were all shepherds. Now there's Cain. Cain is the firstborn son. And this should carry some weight, especially in an agrarian society. However, he is the firstborn son of a fallen man, a man who took part in the original sin, a sin that allowed Satan to take dominion over the earth. So not only does Cain carry the sins of the father, but he is also the born antithesis of Christ. The Christ is born of immaculate conception. Cain is birthed from pain and under the shadow of the serpent. In essence, Cain could be considered the world's first antichrist. Let's see if we can make sense of that a little bit. I'm going to read from Genesis 4, chapter 4, 1 through 5. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. So when they grew up, Cain became a tiller of the ground. Why is that important? Well, look to what God told Adam after Adam had committed the first sin. We're going to look to Genesis chapter 3, 17 through 19. And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. This speaks upon the generational curses that persist to this day. Today, epigenetics is looking into heritable gene expression over genetic code alteration. Basically meaning what the parent is exposed to can express itself in the genetic makeup of the child and possibly future generations. Research has shown that a mother's exposure to pollution can affect asthma susceptibility in her child. Now what we are seeing in Cain is a result of his mother and father's choice 
to eat of fruit which had been forbidden. And that result affects Adam's bloodline for generations upon generations, as we'll see. It's not only epigenetics we can point to. There are deep-rooted traumas that are carried over on a socioeconomic scale as well. Poverty, for instance. Once you hit that poverty mark and are sucked into it, it's like a black hole. And it keeps tearing at any light that might find its way into your life. You know, I work with, I work with foster youth. And they've been the cause of a lot of my perspectives to change. I thought I had it bad growing up. We were poor, or at least lower middle class. My dad wasn't in the picture for most part, for the most part, and my mom worked. At one point, she had three jobs. If it wasn't for my grandmother there to help us, we would have been destitute. But with my grandmother's support, we had all of our basics covered. I brought up the foster youth because once they turn 18, they don't have that familial support. Little things that we take for granted, they only wish they had. The example I like to use is the need for a vehicle. I'm from Texas. If you don't have a car in Texas, you're basically stranded. If it wasn't for my grandmother signing for my first car when I was 16, I would never have gotten a vehicle, which means no job, which means no work ethic, which would have led to me being resentful, angry, hateful. I needed to be mobile, which meant friends and society and girls and a much broader and richer life to be experienced. Of course, these things came with, with these things came working all of the time, paying the car note, still having to study and act like I cared about high school. So I had to buckle down in order to gain a little bit of freedom. We see this playing out with Cain and Abel. We'll look to and read Genesis chapter four, three through five again now. I think this, these verses are pretty important to try to understand. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain. This pissed Cain off. He got angry and he looked dejected. So this is when God comes to Cain and he says, and I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 4, 6 through 7. God says, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Damn if truer words were ever spoken. So many people get caught up in the trivial nature of God's existence. They say things like, is God real? No, God doesn't exist. But those two sentences from Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, those two sentences sum up everything that God is as far as I'm concerned. 
So Cain is resentful and angry that he has to bear the weight of his father's sins. He brings God an unworthy sacrifice and is like, you deal with it. The thing is, is whether there is a grand creator or not, and I mean, let's face it, even if, even if we knew for certain that there was, we still wouldn't have the slightest notion as to how we should go about our daily lives. But what God is plays out in our notions of mobility in and through this world. God says, I know this life is hard and everything you earn is by the sweat of your brow, but if you do what is right, then you will be accepted. God is the metaphor for what is right, among other things. The direction you choose to walk in, let it be right and just and towards the truth. These things are God and should remain your orientation. Pick a path and stay on it. Otherwise, what does God tell Cain? If you refuse, if you refuse to sacrifice what is right, then sin is there, ready to control you. And all sin means is to miss your target. The thing that you set your sights on, somewhere along the line, you've abandoned it. That's what sin means. I suspect this that the same I suspect that some of us never set our sights on anything. Some of us give in to the generational trauma and become cynical a-holes who throw their hands up and say, "Well, screw it. If the world isn't going to play fair, then why should I? I didn't ask to be born." I guarantee this is the psychology behind the essence of Cain. I know because I've been there, I've done that, and I have the scars to prove it. Look what he does next after God lectures him. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. One day Cain suggests to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Why kill your little brother? Why not compete as brothers and see who can outdo the other? This is where I argue that Cain is the blister upon the flesh known as Satan, Lucifer himself, at least in action. Abel is the very ideal in which God speaks of. He is what could have been the Virgin Mary and potentially the Christ, in theory at least. So it makes sense that the spiteful and resentful serpent has to do away with a man, Abel, that is, and I'm sorry, haphazardly and stupidly good. Now, with earth as his dominion, Satan has used Cain's hands to sink man's potential low into the dirt. If Lucifer couldn't have heaven, man certainly couldn't have earth. Let's move along. What God asks Cain next is what leads to a reply that directly correlates with the death in Minneapolis. Let's read it. This is Genesis chapter 4, verse 9. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, Where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I 
my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? One of the best known lines in history, profoundly asked by man to God. The arrogance echoes to this day. I'm an optimist and I like to think that for the most part, we move towards what is moral and decent. But to look out at our world right now, after the events that took place on May 25th, 2020, people from all walks of life have turned their backs on one another. To be fair, it's a lot easier to be a selfish bastard. There are plenty that get by in this world by being selfish. The thing is, what makes us wholly human is that thing within us that drives us, whatever that might be. Our drive is usually towards the divine. It's towards purpose. And when it's not, we are left as depressed, hapless wanderers, constantly seeking something we can never quite seem to find. Let's try to make sense of that. Genesis chapter 4, 10 through 12. But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, listen, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, from now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. In other words, if you thought you were cursed before for something like disobeying God, wait until you see what it's like to be cursed for turning your back on God. How many of us are goal-oriented? How many of us are pointed towards something meaningful? And then all of a sudden, we fall off just a little. Getting that loan for a business and then getting popped with a DWI while celebrating getting married and then cheating. These are things that go against our values. But the idea of killing the value and defending it with an air of indifference is the ultimate in missing the target. And now we lay bare the story of our 46-year-old victim. There he lie in the street with another man's knee and body weight pressed heavily into the side of his neck and carotid artery. Only it wasn't just a man. It wasn't just three buddies watching his back. The person was what we normally perceive as the archetype of the hero, someone we actively look to, to be our example of goodness. They exemplify that spark of something we all aspire to attain. Only on this day, on this occasion, we watched as that symbol went from hero to villain in less than nine minutes. You know, the psychiatrist and existentialist Rollo May thought of myths and symbols as the architecture within our preconscious mind. Our preconscious minds being a raw and chaotic structure, it uses symbols and myths to create order. And when that order is interrupted or stripped away entirely, we suffer. 
as we'll see in the rest of our story. Derek Chauvin, a police officer with 18 years of service under his belt, broke a sacred social code. 18 years of service swiftly destroyed as Chauvin, under the symbol of justice, murdered George Floyd in the street. This was God's point when he said, sin is crouching behind your door and it's eager to control you. In an instant, one man's life was extinguished and another four men had their lives destroyed, all because no one acted out that sacred social oath of, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. And the world has wept because of it. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. So let's read and see how Cain responds. Genesis chapter 4, 13 through 16. Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord replied, No, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Interestingly enough, the sins of Adam and Eve were not so great that they were completely torn from God. They were banished from Eden, but they maintained a distal relation to it. Now, Cain was torn from God's presence, but even more interesting, he was banished from the ground, and this forced him to move out and away from anything holy. To conclude, I've named this talk, A Shepherd Has Been Killed, a juxtaposition between today's events and the story of Cain and Abel. In this tale, Derek Chauvin is our actor. He wears a badge. He is supposed to, which is supposed to mean that he is an interpretation of what we see as good and righteous. Symbolically, the police are supposed to be the shepherds, keeping the flock separated from the wolves. In this moment, Derek Chauvin, much like Cain, turned his back on what he was supposed to be oriented towards. He, like Cain, turned from what we think of as holy. In that same instance, Chauvin also broke away from his earthly agreement. Cain was linked to the toils of the ground, which provided sustenance for him. As soon as his brother was given as a sacrifice to his wrath, and his blood spilled into the soil, Cain was guilty in the flesh. So not only did Chauvin offend the grand symbol for which he swore to uphold, he denied his fellow man the rights we all take for granted, the right to due process under the law, man's law, laws of the flesh. And as Cain's punishment played out over the earth, his lineage became that of war. He separated from the presence of God. 
He's now separated from the earth. So his lineage has become that of war. His bloodline produced Tubal-Cain, the expert of forging tools of bronze and iron, and Lamech, who said, One has wounded me. So the sevenfold vengeance of Cain is now multiplied for those who would kill me. Their deaths shall now be seventy and sevenfold. And war was born. Unfortunately, we see the mark which has been made playing out in our streets and very stupidly across social media. The war is not army versus army. It's not even person versus person. And the reason I say that is because it is ideology versus ideology. It goes back to that moment of disdain when Cain gave a weak sacrifice and was mad, was then mad at God instead of himself. Ideology of any kind becomes a perverse form of atheism. One which says, even though I know you are there, I choose to believe in only that which fits within the structure that has been given to me. But this is a topic for another day, I think. We will visit this topic a little bit more in the second podcast. Today, um, I just want to say thanks for being with me, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions or comments, or if you just want to yell at me and tell me how wrong I am, you can email me at ethosphere at gmail.com. That's E-T-H-O-S-P-H-E-R-I-A at gmail.com. Thank you for being with me today, and peace be with you.